everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior, IgA nephropathy warrior, and focused on food, fitness, and sharing the individual stories of IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now let's get to it. Well, hi, everybody. My guest today is Lauren Cunningham, a Crohn's disease warrior who turned her health struggles into her passion, healing herself from the inside out and helping as many others along the way as she can. She's here to share her journey with Crohn's disease and how she balances her life now with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's go ahead and jump in. And can you go ahead and start by sharing your Crohn's story and talk about how and when you were diagnosed? Yeah, sure. So mine kind of starts back when I was in high school. Um, so my freshman year was probably when I saw my first symptoms, but I actually didn't get diagnosed until my senior year. Um, so I, my freshman year, I was on a family trip and we were in Chicago and I just started having extreme stomach pain and it was, you know, kind of in that like right lower side and um, which is also where your appendix is. And so I went, we went to a walk-in clinic in Chicago and um, they said it might be, you know, appendicitis. So you need to get to a hospital to get it checked out. We don't want you to fly home, you know, having appendicitis. And so went to the hospital, they did some scans and stuff. And they said, well, it's not appendicitis. They gave me fluids and I felt better after that. And so they're like, we're just going to discharge you and, you know, go home and rest. And, and so that was sort of like my first um, symptom. And then um, after that, for the next couple years, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't huge, very symptomatic, but you know, after I would eat, my stomach would feel kind of tight. And, um, I was very tired. That was like the main symptom. I had a lot of not necessarily Crohn's symptoms, but more so symptoms that would go along with an autoimmune disease. But that was 10, well, not really 10 years ago, probably eight years ago. And now I think that if I was having these symptoms, that it would have been figured out a little quicker. But autoimmune diseases weren't as prevalent eight years ago as they are now. And so um, I kept going to the doctor and they were like, we think you have mono because I just, there was like a lot of, um, I got sick my senior year with, I think it was the flu or something. And I just never kicked it. Like, and, and I probably did, but it was just the Crohn's disease that was acting up. And so, um, I would have random fevers. I was tired all the time. Um, and it was just so much fatigue to the point where, I mean, I played high school soccer and like, I couldn't play. I mean, I was so tired and, um, you know, I was, it wasn't that I was out of shape, you know, it was just like just deep fatigue. And so they typically, you know, you would look at your iron if you have, um, if they think that that might be an issue. And so I happen to have a rare blood condition that we knew about, but it's called thalassemia. And so I have the minor version. It's really not a big deal, but one of the symptoms is that you might be a little tired. And so everybody's like, you're just overreacting. It's just the thalassemia. And it just so happens that um, the way they check your thalassemia is they look at your hemoglobin. And that can also be in a normal person, how they can see if your iron is low. And so my hemoglobin is always low because I have thalassemia. So they're like, well, your iron's not low. It's just the thalassemia. And so I went to a hematologist and it was not a great experience. They basically said, it's in your head. You know, you're really not that tired. 
And so finally, when I turned 18, um, and so my mom has Crohn's disease. And so oh, wow. you would almost think that we would, that would be like the first thing we would think yeah. of. But she wasn't diagnosed until she was 40. And so that was only like five or six years before I was having issues. And so her symptoms were so different than mine. I mean, her stomach just hurt one day. You went to the doctor. Um, they did a colonoscopy. Like our primary care doctor just randomly said, this is a disease that's kind of becoming more prevalent. And I think that's what you have. And he didn't do any tests. He just said, I think this is what you have. You need to go see a specialist. She did. She got a colonoscopy and then had surgery that day and has not had a symptom since. Wow. So she got diagnosed like immediately. Yes. And here and you are not, in the background, like you're yeah, fine. <laughs> exactly. And so, and that's been 15 years ago and she is on just an oral medication and has never had another symptom. And so wow. our symptoms were just very different and it hit at such different times in our lives. And plus I didn't, the only symptom I had really of Crohn's disease was just that my stomach hurt. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, we just thought, well, I mean, we had no idea what it was. And finally, the pain got pretty bad. I mean, my senior year. So I did go to a GI doctor, had a colonoscopy and was diagnosed right away. And so then they did a deeper study of my iron. And they're like, your iron is extremely low. Like, this is why you've been so tired, um, you know, and so fatigued. Um, Don't you kind of have like feel vindicated at that point when it's like, finally, like I've yes. been saying all this time. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, I want that facts to my hematologist. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah. So that's when I was diagnosed. That was like April of 2015. So right before mm -hmm. I graduated high school. And right away, my GI doctor said, you know, you might want to go on one of these new medications, the biologics, you know, which mm -hmm. that was like when Humira was kind of gaining traction and Remicade had been around for a long time. But he suggested Humira. And, you know, hindsight, you should probably listen to your doctor. But um, <laughs> my family is Good like, advice. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in to just to interject real quick, sometimes it's frustrating when you go through like years of not being diagnosed and you keep saying that you have all these symptoms and you know internally you know something's wrong and yet the doctors like their hands are tied because a, a certain blood test didn't do this or that and so when finally the result does come in and they can prescribe or do something then it's kind of we're almost jaded at that point like well I don't need your medication now. I've been <laughs> for sure. struggling for five years. So yeah, listen to your doctor, but sometimes it's frustrating. <laughs> yes. And I think that like we didn't realize really the severity of it at the time mm -hmm. because I had gone on like undiagnosed for three years. And, you know, at that point it was moderate to severe is what my doctor said that, you mm -hmm. know, when he went in and, and saw it through the colonoscopy. So, you know, we just kind of thought, well, my mom's on an oral medication, so maybe that would work for me. And so we decided to try that instead of go on a biologic. Mm -hmm. And just since I was, I mean, I was 18 years old and it's like the thought of possibly being on a biologic for the rest of your life is kind of, you know, daunting. And so um, we just all decided that that was probably the best route. And and honestly, my, my doctor was totally fine with it. You know, he was like, well, I think you should do the biologic, but this will probably help as well. So that whole summer, um, I went on this oral steroid and then also an oral um, medication. And so um, it was probably three months at, later, I started just having severe pain and happened to be on another family trip, this time to Washington, D.C. 
And I like, you know, there's a lot of like walking involved, listening yeah. to the monuments. And I was just like, I couldn't do it. I was literally hunched over. I mean, physical it, stress. Yes. And like the, the pain kind of at some point, and I'm not sure exactly when, but it stopped being just right after I would eat and started just being constant. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it was just like, we, I kind of described it as like a spasm sort of pain. So it would just like tighten up really, really mm-hmm. tight. And then it would release but those spasms kind of got closer together. And, um, and so I just like, I couldn't, I just laid up in the hotel room while my family went around DC. And, um, so I got back from, uh, from that trip and I was tapering off of the steroid Mm -hmm. and it wasn't prednisone. Um, it was actually one that was just targeted to my gut. And, um, what, what, what is it? Is it a newer one or is it, remember? So it's called budesidide or something. It sounds like that. I'm not really sure how to say it, but <laughs> rhymes uh, with. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, it just targets your gut. And so typically you're on like a lower, you know, with prednisone, you can be on like 50 milligrams, but like this one, it's more of like, you know, you're either on three or six or nine milligrams. It's like a lower dose, but, um, and it, you don't, you also don't have the bad side effects that come along with prednisone. Um, so it's a lot easier on your system. But um, so I was tapering off of that because you don't want to be on it for like an extended amount of time. And one day the pain was just literally, it was so bad. And I ended up throwing up. And so we called, and of course it was a weekend. And so we call the like hotline through my GI doctor and they're like, yeah, that sounds like your intestines are swelled shut. And so they're like, you probably should come into the doctor or into the hospital. And so it's, kind of, I mean, just a godsend that my GI doctor actually went to um, college with my dad and they were in the same fraternity. And so we didn't actually even know that. I mean, they hadn't talked in years, but when my mom was diagnosed, our primary care doctor just so happened. He's like, I I, um, refer people to this doctor. And my dad's like, I went to school with him. And so that's um, who I go to as well. And so we called, you know, we had a cell phone number, which was great for us, terrible for him. (laughs) But um, (laughs) we called him and, and he was the one he's like, yeah, you need to come to the hospital, just get it checked out. And and sure enough, it was my intestines were swollen shut and um, just with the inflammation and everything. And so they had to put in an NG tube. Mm -hmm. And so it like goes in your nose, down your throat. And into your stomach. Was it honestly the worst (laughs) part of it all? (laughs) It was just kind of one of those things that, you know, I didn't know. And my sister is a nurse practitioner. And I remember saying they think that my intestines are swollen shut and she's not really one to sugarcoat things. And she's Mm -hmm. like, well, you're going to hate the NG too. And I was like, oh my gosh, I I can't do this. And so um, anyways, I get to the ER and they insert it. And it was this nurse. I I mean, I still remember his name. Um, His name was Benny. And he was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And um, they figured out very quickly that I needed the pediatric one Mm -hmm. because like the normal adult size one was just like too big. And so Mm -hmm. they put it in and it, you know, it literally goes up your nose, which is not a great feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you have to swallow it or else it will go like, you'll start coughing it back up. Yeah. Like if it goes down the wrong like way. And so once it's in, it's bearable, you know, yeah. I mean, it feels like you have something stuck up your nose, but yeah. um, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it sucks out the the bile and everything. And if you don't have it and your intestines are swollen shut, like you would just be vomiting 
So it, it's like you kind of have to have it. Like there's no way you can't not have it. But when you do have it, you can't eat. So, you know, I was on like a clear liquid diet. And so I was in the hospital for like, I think four or five nights and they got things calmed down and things were passing through, you know, the, the um, intestines were not as inflamed. They just kept saying we need IV fluids and bowel rest. That's what you mm-hmm. need. So um, I left the hospital, but this time on prednisone and um, a pretty high dosage, like 60 milligrams of prednisone. And I was supposed to start college like a week later. And so, you know, my family was like, if you don't want to start, like, you're fine. And so I like to say I'm a recovering top A personality. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I have to start. <laughs> That's so common with IBD patients. Like, we all yes. seem to be very type A. And <laughs> yes. And so I'm like, I have to start. I mean, I'm already enrolled. And so luckily, my college was just 30 minutes from my house. And so um, I did live on campus, but um, but I was able to come home whenever I needed to. And so this whole time, like once I got diagnosed in April, I was waiting to see a specialist at Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, and I could not get in until the end of October. So it was like a six month waiting wow. period. And so she is an IBD specialist um, and she like all she sees all day are crimson colitis, whereas, you know, with a GI doctor, you see everything. And so um, my luckily, since I was technically a new patient, like my records had already been sent over, my doctor was able to communicate with her. And so they decided then after my first bowel blockage that I needed to, um, to start Remicade right away. And so I started Remicade, started college, started prednisone. Um, and then six weeks later, I was tapering, you know, off, I think I was going from like 60 to 50, to 40 mm-hmm. to 30, you know, and um, I was tapering off prednisone and it, it happened again, the bowel blockage. So oh, I go wow. back to the hospital, same routine, NG tube, same nurse, Benny, had to do it again. <laughs> um, and so uh, it, it was really just the exact same. It happened on a Saturday again, stayed wow. until like that Thursday and then mm-hmm. was released and um, went back to school, but just realized that, you know, I, there were only a few things that I could eat at that point. Mm-hmm. So like mashed potatoes, rice, that was pretty much it. And so my mom would make these like <laughs> rice bowls for me where mm-hmm. she would like, she had little bitty Tupperware bowls. And so on Sunday she would make a bunch <laughs> of rice <laughs> did it with me. And I, it was funny. I'd tell my roommate, she was great. And she, I was like, no, not many people would be okay with a fridge full of rice. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, that's just kind of, that was all I could eat. And so yeah. I still felt terrible, you know, through that time. I mean, my stomach would hurt all the time. I was really tired. Um, but at least through from like September until December, I didn't have like a major like hospital thing, you yeah. know? So I got to see the specialist and she just kind of said, at this point, we're just going to kind of go with it and see what happens. But surgery is always an option, you know, just because it's kind of like a, a do over is what she mm-hmm. called it, you know. And so I knew that in the back of my mind, but kind of just thought, well, it's going to get better. It'll be fine. I'm feeling decent. And so um, started the second semester of my freshman year in January and about three days in, I just had, and it wasn't even that spasm pain. It was just like, it wasn't even localized. It just felt like my whole body hurt. And so I called my mom and like, you've got to come get me. I can't even like get up. And so she drove down and got me and took me to the hospital. And so that was kind of the start of this 
crazy like next six months of um so I, I was in the hospital in knoxville tennessee which is in east mm -hmm. tennessee and so my specialist is in middle tennessee in nashville at vanderbilt and so right away we kind of knew that i needed to be over there and so we were just waiting for a bed to open up mm -hmm. and um we had, i ended up having to wait like <clears throat> i think probably three or three nights maybe and finally mm -hmm. they got a bed available and sent me over there by ambulance and so i got to vanderbilt which was great because i was with my specialist and she was like we're pumping you with you know iv antibiotics iv steroids oh my gosh and um pain medicine and you know i was on at that point i was on morphine and so mm -hmm. um and it really wasn't even touching the pain and so which sounds crazy but i've talked to so many people with IBD and they're like, no, we get it. Like Nothing the pain is just yeah. excruciating. And mm -hmm. so um, the plan was to kind of pump me full of medicine and then send me home with <laughs> a lot of medicine too. Uh -huh. And hopefully that would like calm the area down so they didn't have to take as much. It was really just, which I'm lucky because, you know, Crohn's can affect any, like every yeah. area. And I, mine is very localized. So it was about a foot of my intestine, like 12 inches that it was the, the affected area. And so um, they were like, surgery is definitely an option for you since it's just that one area, but we still want to take as little as we can. And was so it affecting the small intestine or the large intestine, the ileocecal valve area. So like mm -hmm. the connector between okay. the two. Yep. Yeah. And so um, we, the day before we were supposed to leave, um, the hospital to go home and kind of just like rest and just kind of reevaluate things and come back a couple months later for surgery, the pain started again. And it was just, I mean, it was just terrible. And, um, and it's so funny because like looking back that I was supposed to be on a low residue diet and mm -hmm. the hospital gave me like broccoli <laughs> and cooked. And so I'm like, well, I either starve or eat the broccoli. So I ate oh, the broccoli man. and then I end up having like excruciating pain and, um, so the next day my doctor said, listen, you're, you're not leaving, <laughs> you're going to have surgery and we're going to plan it for as soon as we can. And so they also, um, prescribed, uh, Dilaudid pain medicine, mm -hmm. which is, you know, like it's 10 times stronger than morphine and yeah. it did help, you know, but it just literally knocked you out. I mean, you, I was, I don't even remember those four days. And so, but the, also my, my doctor said, you know, since you've been on steroids for so long, your body will not heal without them. Hmm. And so um, she's like, we have to give you a temporary ostomy bag. And so at that point, I really didn't care just because yeah. I'm like, I mean, I'm like, I mean, I was dying basically, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't really realize that. I don't think I realized it was as bad as it was until people later were like, we thought you were going to die. And um, so anyways, I was like, that's fine. Um, it was supposed to be for like two or three months, the ostomy bag, just while like that surgery site healed and, and then I would get it reversed. And so, um, I ended up having surgery, recovered. Okay. Decently well. Mm -hmm. Um, but that whole period of me being in the hospital in January was about two and a half weeks to, before surgery. And then like a week after surgery. And so, um, through that first two and a half week time, I was pretty much on clear liquids, except for that random day they gave me broccoli. But um, <laughs> so that was, I guess, just to see how I tolerated food before they sent me home, which I'm glad because yeah. I didn't tolerate it. But um, so I was on clear liquids the whole time. And I also just happened to have a bed that the scale didn't work. Oh, no. And, yeah. 
And my sister actually worked at Vanderbilt and not at the time, but she had, mm-hmm. she was a nurse um, before she was a nurse practitioner at Vanderbilt. And she said, you know, we would get severely reprimanded if um, we didn't weigh a patient. She's like, so I don't know how you went two and a half weeks without being weighed. Wow. And so I ended up, I'm 5'10", and I ended up getting under 100 pounds. Wow. And I mean, my mom, who was like, stayed every night in the hospital with me, like she said, I mean, I can see your spine, like literally yeah. like your all of your ribs and everything. So we knew I'd lost a lot of weight. And, you know, they're like, oh, just drink and insure, you know, and I'm like, what? You know, that's not. And so anyways, I got in the hospital when I was recovering from surgery. They let me eat and I was eating fine. I come home two days later. I have like extreme nausea. And so I'm just like starting to throw up, which is terrible if you've just had surgery, you know, I'm like in pain and like throwing up. And so we called the hospital and our my surgeon was like, I mean, everything went well. Like, we, I really don't think that this is botched surgery in any way, but you need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and um, the ER doctor said, I think you have nutcracker syndrome. He was like, I think that it, this is a phenomenon. I mean, he was so excited about it. It was actually kind of disturbing. But <laughs> Something he'd never seen before. Yeah. It was like, the textbook yeah. has come to life. <laughs> exactly. And so what um, is nutcracker syndrome? So, you know, that's the interesting thing. So like he said that in the ER that day, but then they admitted me because I was in such bad pain and like my pancreas was, it was looking like I had pancreatitis too. And they're like, well, this just doesn't make sense. And so mm. I was admitted and I don't know if there was like a disconnect between what he saw and like what my actual doctors were seeing day to day, because after he said that, like there wasn't really any talk of that being what, what was wrong. And so then mm-hmm. um, this nurse practitioner that worked in my GI doctor group, she's like, I think I figured it out after like three days of me just kind of chilling in the hospital, not really um, not knowing like what was wrong. And um, she's like, I think you have SMA syndrome, which to my knowledge is the same thing as nutcracker syndrome, which is kind of like the slang term yeah, for yeah. it. Um, but basically what happened was I had lost so much weight. And so all throughout our body, there are like fatty pads and there it were like two or three fatty pads around this, um, the small uh, or the superior mesenteric artery. And they are completely gone in my case because I had mm-hmm. lost so much weight. So that artery closed in on my stomach oh, wow. and was not allowing food to pass through. And so um, the only way to reverse the condition is to gain weight, but you can't eat. Wow. So it's like kind of like a, a conundrum. And so I, they did an upper scope on me just to see if that's what it was. And the doctor who did the scope said that my stomach was only open like 10%. Wow. And so, um, yeah, it was crazy. And by then the pain kind of started because there was like, I mean, there was like food buildup, I guess. Yeah. I don't really know. And then it was also making me have pancreatitis, which is extremely painful. Oh my gosh. So it was like different pain. You know, it wasn't like concentrated in my lower stomach. It was more like my upper, just like everywhere mm-hmm. just kind of hurt. And so, um, they, they were like, well, you, you have to gain weight. And, um, and also no doctor in the hospital had ever seen this. Um, really? one, yeah, one person had seen it in their residency. Wow. And so they don't really know how to treat it. And, um, and so a lot of doctors don't even believe in it. 
Like they're like, oh, it's just a phenomenon that it doesn't, it doesn't exist. And, and so my doctors were just like, just go home and drink 2000 calories a day and it should reverse. And oh my gosh. So I go home and what then would that pain, be like 50 insure shakes or something? Seriously, <laughs> that's what, and they're like, well, just drink like milkshakes for every meal. And I'm mm. like, do you, I mean that much dairy <laughs> like that yeah. and sugar? Just, yeah, I know. And so I went home for about two days and then that's when the pain was kind of like ramping up just because I think my body was just, it was just done. Like yeah. the pancreatitis was in full swing and they still don't really know why I had that. They think that just that the artery closing in just kind of messed with a lot of stuff wow. in my like upper stomach. And so anyways, I, um, I go back to the hospital because the pain was so bad and I was not gaining weight. And so they're like, well, we're going to have to figure something else out. So they end up giving me, um, PPN, which is like, mm -hmm. um, you know, IV nutrition. And so they put a pick line in. And so each mm -hmm. night I got 2000 calories through this like IV bag. And so I also like, I had been graduated from clear liquid to full liquid diet just mm -hmm. with like the milkshakes and stuff. And so I continued to like eat, you know, like cream of wheat and yogurt mm. and things like that while I was in the hospital. And so they kept me there. They kind of have to keep you for observation because they have to check your blood sugar because this like TPN can kind of like mess up your blood sugar. Wow. And so mine was fine, but they just had to che like keep checking it. And so they kept me for about two weeks on this like TPN and then they sent me home on TPN. So I had like an IV pole and my food my food, which was actually my IV bag would get like shipped to our house. And my mom would hook me up at night and I would, you know, it was basically the same thing that was happening in the hospital. It would just, um, go into my pick line at night. And, mm -hmm. um, so I really, I mean, being in the hospital and connected to things for like almost two months, yeah. like I basically, I mean, you just don't get good sleep. I mean, they're coming in like every hour. And so even when I got came home, I'm still attached to this line. So I'm like not really sleeping, you know, much. And they, they say, you know, do it at night. And I think my mom and I figured out that like better to do it during the day. Cause I wasn't doing anything anyways. I'm recovering from surgery. Yeah. And so we would start it at like 4 PM and mm. then, you know, it would beep around like 4 AM and I would sleep so soundly from like 4 wow. AM to like 10 AM, you know, because, um, but anyways, so yeah, I finally got to go off that after about six weeks at home. I gained back all of the weight and go back to the doctor and they're like, well, try to eat something. And if you throw up, then it didn't work. But if it goes down, then you're fine. <laughs> and so um, it was just kind of trial and, and error. But I, I ate and nothing happened. I wasn't in pain. So we we're mm -hmm. like, I guess it reversed itself. <laughs> and wow. Um, so then by that point, it was like mid March or like the end of March. Mm -hmm. And so obviously I wasn't in school that semester. I dropped out, but, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, because of those setbacks, um, I, my, um, reversal surgery kept getting pushed. And so I finally was able to get a colonoscopy done by my specialist. And she said, yes, you're good to be reversed. And um, so they reversed that like in July. So I ended up having it for about six months. And so, um, then I started school like two weeks later wow. and, um, 
yeah, so that was a crazy time. And then since then, that was in 2016. And so since then, um, you know, I've been, there's been good months, bad months, you know, um, it just kind of fluctuates. Um, through college, I would have little flares and, um, but nothing, nothing like yeah. terrible or anything. Um, and then, uh, probably had my worst flare my senior year. Stress is a huge trigger for me. So, um, so as I think it is with every, yeah. yeah. And so, um, I was very stressed about like graduation and I didn't know where I was going to get my master's at. And, and so I was, that was the, probably the worst flare I had. I was kind of out of commission for a week. And so, um, but aside from that, you know, if I can kind of control my stress, it's manageable. Um, but I, you know, still on Remicade. And then I graduated college where I actually have a degree in accounting. Mm -hmm. So, um, I worked in public accounting for about nine months until the pandemic hit. And, um, so I had already decided to enroll in nutrition school just because mm -hmm. I'm like, there has to be something more, you know, that I can do. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause like I listened to everything my doctors tell me to do, but there has to be something more. And so I had enrolled in nutrition school and just had so you, happened. Had you talked to any of your doctors about diet? Had they given you the, the standard advice that seems to be, if it hurts, you don't eat it and otherwise eat whatever you want. <laughs> it, sort of, you know, mm -hmm. I think that so many doctors were in the camp of, oh, food doesn't have any sort of effect on an autoimmune disease. And obviously we're seeing now that that's like not true at all. I mean, food is like one of the biggest, you know, triggers for a lot of people and, and it does matter what we eat, but I've been lucky that I, my GI doctor and my IBD specialist are very holistic minded. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of lucked out with that. Um, my, my IBD specialist has always been like, you know, you need to eat real food. But like, what does that really mean? You know, when you're in a 15 minute appointment with your doctor, it's like, what can they really do? You know, and so her hands are sort of tied in that. I mean, she can't sit down and say like, this is, you know, an educate on nutrition, mm -hmm. which I think everybody should be educated on nutrition, you know, even if you don't have an autoimmune disease. Yeah. And so um, my GI doctor, his wife is actually like a holistic healer. And oh, wow. so she, what yeah, a combination. I know, I know. And she used to be an ER or an ER nurse and then was in like a car accident and hurt her back. And so couldn't stand for like 12 hours at a time and decided to go back and get um, a healing touch certification. So it's like an energy mm -hmm. healer. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually went to her while I was kind of like after the whole TPN thing. And so while I had my ostomy bag, I, I went to her and again, I don't really know if it was all in my head, but mm -hmm. when I would leave there, I felt good, you know, like I felt better than when I had gotten there. And so, um, I was, a, that was kind of the first like holistic thing that I really ever did. And I was pretty against it. There was a lot of resistance at first, just cause I'm like, well, this is not, this is just woo woo. It's not going to help, you know, <laughs> but I always felt better. And so then after that, I kind of got into essential oils and I realized that, okay, these, help me. Like I, I know these help me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that was sort of my next like holistic thing, but, but no diet has not ever been a huge topic of conversation, you know, with doctors, yeah. um, which is unfortunate, but I mean, I kind of understand like in the medical system that we have now, like they have 15 minutes with their patients and, you know, I mean, it's, 
it's kind of their hands are, are, are tied, but I, I wanted to go to nutrition school. And so I had enrolled in like eight or February of like 2020. Mm-hmm. And so just so happened, my start date was March 16th, I think. And that was the day like the country shut down yeah. with COVID. And I also kind of got an email from my specialist saying like, you need to stay home. We don't know what this does to, especially people with a suppressed immune system. Cause you and were still, so, were you still on Remicade at that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And so um, my, you know, I mean, and I, I tend to like, whenever I would get sick, I thought things off fine, you know, but still with COVID, we just didn't know. And so um, working from home, like wasn't really an option at this accounting firm. And so I was getting my MBA at the time, and I was going to nutrition school or I had started. And so I thought, I'll just stay home, which initially I was just like, I just need, you know, two weeks. <laughs> you know, we're going to flatten the curve and then COVID will be gone. <laughs> Everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah. And so I, um, I ended up staying home and then it just kept, you know, yeah. and, and I live in a small town. And so we didn't really even see a lot of COVID until like August of, of 2020. And so um, I just, you know, stayed home. And so when I started nutrition school, I really did not have any, like, I did not think it was going to be a career at all. I was like, you know, I, I don't, it's just for myself. Like, I just want to kind of learn how to eat yeah. better. And this, the school I went to, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition is a holistic, you know, uh, nutrition school. So yes, we talk about food, but it's more so like the whole mind body experience and just how everything ties in and how everything is, it plays into our health. And so, um, I really didn't even know that before. I mean, I knew there was going to be a little bit of that, but yeah. Um, and so I knew when I graduated, it was a year long program. Um, I knew when I graduated that I would be technically like a certified holistic health coach, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't sure that like, I wanted to coach anybody. I don't know. It's just kind of such a weird term. And so, um, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it, but I knew that I wanted to do something because after three months of being in nutrition school, I had a scan and they're like, we think you're in remission. Like you're not, there's no active Crohn's that we can see. And so- How did your diet and lifestyle change as you were learning throughout this program? You're learning all of this information about the body and just the holistic health and your diet and nutrition. How did that affect and change over that year of the program? Yeah. So it changed a lot. Um, I think we like people tend to overcomplicate things. And like, I just realized when I was in nutrition school that it's so simple, you know, like just eat real foods. And, you know, there's a lot of doctors that will tell IBD patients to stay away from fiber. And, you know, that is somewhat true if you're in like a bad flare, you know, that can, I mean, eating broccoli like I did in the hospital um, and not, it's not great for you, but that doesn't mean that you can't eat cooked broccoli, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and just trying to, to steer clear from foods that cause inflammation. So, you know, I don't ever restrict foods. You know, I don't ever tell people to restrict foods unless you have like an allergy, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously like if you have an allergy, if you're, um, if you need to be gluten-free, then be gluten-free. But if you don't, then, you know, unless that's not a, if it's not a trigger for you, then eat it. Like, and so one of the main and kind of most empowering principles that I learned at, um, at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition was bio-individuality, mm-hmm. which basically means that everyone is unique. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so what works for one person is not going to work for another person. Yeah. And we see that a lot with like diet culture, you know, a diet might work great for somebody, but then like your friend might try it and it she yeah. might gain weight, you know? And so, and I think people, there's a lot of like blaming yourself, like, oh, why didn't that work for me? But really it just wasn't designed for your body. And so um, that's also true with like autoimmune diseases, you know, like there shouldn't be a food list you know, Mm -hmm. like that you should avoid or, or eat because we're all so unique. And like, you know, for me personally, I don't require a lot of meat. Mm -hmm. I just don't, don't really like meat. I'm not vegan. I'll eat meat, you know, but it's just not like what I would put on my plate naturally. And so that's okay. But like for another patient that has IBD, they can eat meat and they like meat, you know, and, and that's fine. Like you just have to really just trial and, and error and, and just see what works for yourself. And so mm-hmm. for me personally, I think just since I was home all the time, it was really the perfect storm for me because then I was home because of COVID. And so I wasn't eating out. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a big deal, not eating out because you don't know what's in your food. I mean, you might even get chicken and rice somewhere, but you don't know what oil that chicken was cooked in. And so um, not eating out for like three to five months, I think was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, I did not restrict sugar, but I pretty much cut it out of my diet because mm-hmm. I was like, this is the devil. Like the more I read about sugar, I'm like, this is not, it's so inflammatory for everybody. Yeah. I mean, there's not one person that it's not inflammatory for. And it's so not a, it's not a health food. <laughs> it's really not. And like, I didn't even realize until I just decided like, I'm not going to eat processed sugary foods. Mm-hmm. And there are so many substitutes like coconut sugar, maple syrup honey, like these things can sweeten your food. And no, it doesn't taste like processed, like, like you're just basically taking a spoonful of sugar and eating it, but your food is still sweet. Mm -hmm. And so I really started baking a lot during that time. And so I would always have like a treat on hand at home Mm -hmm. that was sweet, but not, you know, it wasn't cooked with, with sugar, like real, like raw white sugar. And so I realized after like three months of that, that I don't even like sugar anymore. I don't crave sugar. I don't crave sweet foods at all anymore. You know, like I kind of change. It really does. And, and it's, you know, there were a lot of lectures at the, at the nutrition school I attended that said like, you are addicted to sugar. You don't realize you are, but you just are because it's in so many things now. And I believe it because I can watch, you know, one of my sisters or my parents like eating a piece of cake. Like I don't even want it. You know, and it's not that I'm restricting it. I just don't want it. Yeah. And so um, I think that was huge for me was just like not eating a lot of sugar. And like, if I'm at a birthday party, I'm going to eat the cake. You know, like it's not, I'm not restricting it. I'm just choosing when I'm in my home to not cook with sugar, you know, not (laughs) bake with sugar. And it just changes. It really does change your life. And it changes, you know, I, I really do think a lot of people are addicted to sugar and they don't realize it. Yeah. Um, and then also just like adding in fr- like fruits and vegetables, which is so simple, but <laughs> I mean, you know, we, and my mom, like she cooked most meals when I was younger and she, I mean, we weren't like just eating terribly when I was a kid, but like maybe we didn't always eat vegetables, you know? And so I think just adding in vegetables, it just makes you feel better, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and that was the main thing. Like when they told me I was in remission, I was like, I feel good. And that was like the first time that I had really felt in a long time. Yeah. And so, um, 
I had so much energy, you know, in that time. And so I think just, you know, changing your diet around just the little changes Mm -hmm. that are sustainable can really make a huge difference. Back to what you were saying before, now that you had this certification and the coaching and you're thinking you're not sure what you want to do with it, what happened after that? Yeah, so I graduated in April of 2021 and then I graduated with my MBA in May of 2021. And so that was sort of the time where I'm like, okay, well, I had gotten vaccinated so I could kind of like, you know, go out into the Mm -hmm. world again. And um, I was like, well, maybe I should, you know, try and use this somehow. But I just didn't know how because like taking on like one on one clients is just it, it's a it's a lot harder than um, than it it was really portrayed that it was mm-hmm. going to be, and so and I just wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do all day every day. So I just happened to um, it kind of fell into my lap that a, a lady reached out to me who had a fitness app, and she's like, "Would you like to develop recipes mm-hmm. um, for my fitness app?" And I was like, "Okay." Like I didn't know that was a, a thing, but sure, I had a blog that I put recipes on that mm-hmm. were like my own, but is that how she found um, you through the blog? So I actually had made a, an ebook um, in like March of that year. And mm-hmm. so it was a spring meal plan and it wasn't like a plan, but really just like, I think there was 45 seasonal recipes in it. And I thought, well, I'll just you? sell this. Yeah, it'll, it'll sell for sure. You know, and then I, I sent it to a few people that ha- were kind of in the wellness space on like Instagram and, um, she was one of the ones that replied. And so she didn't really like market the book, mm-hmm. but she did give me another, you know, career opportunity. And so um, that's how she found me. So I, I reached out to her, but she, I had found her through Instagram and we had kind of had some contact before that. And so um, anyways, she reached out and said, would you like to develop the recipes? And I'm like, sure. And so it definitely wasn't a full-time thing at first, mm-hmm. but then I realized that this is something that a lot of fitness professionals would want to outsource. And so I you know, started to reach out to more people and just say, hey, this is a service that I offer. If you ever want it, let me know. And so I started to kind of like build my client base through that. And so um, it's definitely been like just a great, you know, I've been doing it not even a full year yet, but um, it's been very, very fun. And a lot of other things have come through that, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, so right now I'm like working with another fitness app to develop a full health coaching program for that Mm -hmm. app. And so it's just kind of like given me a lot of flexibility and and kind of shown me that there are so many different things you can do as a health coach that aren't just like taking on clients Mm -hmm. one-on-one. So the ebook that you mentioned before, because I went to your website and it, you have an ebook available for download uh, for anyone that comes to your website and signs up. Is that the same ebook that you were talking about? No, it isn't. And so that's actually a funny story. So the ebook originally, the spring meal plan, I was like, I'm going to sell this. And honestly, I had not been, you know, posting recipes at that point very much. You know, like I think I had started in November and this was in March. And so you know, looking back, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have bought her ebook either. <laughs> like if she doesn't, she just <laughs> you didn't started it yourself. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so um, that is, I still have that ebook, but I removed it from my website. because I'm like, you know, I think I can make this better. And I mm-hmm. think I can make it more valuable. And so I had another little health crisis this year, um, which sparked this new ebook. But mm-hmm. 
So basically, I after I got the vaccine, mm-hmm. I had some weird symptoms pop up. And I only say that after I got the vaccine because we actually have tied it to that. Mm-hmm. And which is crazy. I still totally would have gotten the vaccine. And so, you know, to do it over again, I would have I would have gotten it just because it's kind of like one of those things where I'm like, well, I'm more scared of COVID than having like an yeah. extra symptom or two of, of Crohn's. But had some weird symptoms. So we did some, uh, did a colonoscopy, did an endoscopy. And there's an area that I have a lot of scar tissue and they can't see it with the scopes. And so my GI doctor said, let's do a pill cam, yeah. which is like, you know, and so I agreed to do it. I did not know that I probably shouldn't have done it because like if because of all the scarring, exactly. And just like, it could be inflammation. It could be scar tissue, Mm -hmm. but it got stuck. Oh, it did. Yeah. And so, and that was during, so, you know, in August, especially in like the East Tennessee area, there was a huge wave of COVID. The hospitals were completely overrun with like, just pay. I mean, they were, that was the worst wave in this area that we've seen. And so um, of course it's when I have a pill cam stuck oh. and they're like, you might have to have surgery. And I'm like, well, where's a bed in the hospital? You know, like there wasn't one. And so, um, luckily it ended up passing, but it was stuck for two weeks. <gasps> and yeah. Two weeks. What did you do for the two weeks? Were you just <laughs> eating liquid, like drinking liquids? And so that's what kind of, uh, sparked this ebook. They said go like on very low residue foods. Mm. So I could still eat because I think the thought was like, if you eat, it might push it out, you know, like it might be good to eat. And so I wasn't moving. Right. And, and I never like, I I wasn't ever in pain and I wasn't like, I I wouldn't have really even known it was stuck. It just like they could tell because so after 12 hours, so you swallow it and it does its thing, takes pictures. Mm. And then after 12 hours, you take the camera pack off. And at that point it stops taking pictures but they could tell it was stuck when it was like, and so it just, it didn't pass. And it was in the exact area they thought it was. So I had an x-ray that proved that it was stuck. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, we'll just x-ray you next week, unless you're in pain. And they could already tell that it wasn't causing a blockage Mm -hmm. because of like the x-ray, it would have, you could have seen like a buildup kind of, but there Mm -hmm. wasn't one. So they're like, we're not immediately worried about this. And they even said that that they had people where it taken six weeks to pass. Wow. So, so anyways, um, I I ended up passing it after two weeks. So that was good. Um, but I was on low residue. And I realized that when I had been on low residue in the past, I had not really eaten healthy because a lot of healthy foods are not considered low residue because they have a lot of fiber in them. So like vegetables and fruit are kind of off the list. Like they're just like, oh, eat bread, you know, and eat like things like that, which, yeah, if that's like what feels good, then yes, eat bread. But like, um, I, I just, I could tell a difference in my energy levels, you know, by not eating, um, you know, vegetables. And I don't even like, I'm not some crazy, like, you know, vegetarian person. Like I, I'm not like that. I eat bread and I eat, yeah. you know, rice and things like that. And um, so I'm not very strict just day to day, but I really could tell a difference when I stopped eating those foods. And so um, I decided that, you know, they gave, they gave me a list of food on a low residue diet. And I'm like, this does nothing for me. Like this mm-hmm. isn't recipes. Like this isn't like things that you can, um, that you can, you know, cook. This is literally just a food list. Mm-hmm. And so 
I sort of like went back in a lot of my recipe archives and just looked around for like recipes I could switch around mm -hmm. that could be low residue. And so that is sort of the 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 story behind the ebook. I'm like, this needs to be, you know, there needs to be people or there there needs to be recipes out there for people yeah. who are on a low residue diet because it's so hard to find just like food ideas and you already don't feel good, likely, yeah. if you're on a low residue diet. And so um, I kind of marketed it as like, it, it can be for anyone who is stressed and just needs like more of that comfort food, you mm -hmm. know, like, you know, maybe they don't want to eat a salad when you're stressed, you might want to eat a soup that still yeah. is really healthy, but also doesn't take a long time to cook or that you could prep ahead or that, you know, it's so easy that your husband could make it or whatever, you know. And so I decided not to sell it and just to offer it for free. You know, you can just sign awesome. up for my email list. And and um, and so I ended up, instead of selling five, like I did of the spring meal plan, there's been over like 250 downloads on this one. So it's That's definitely awesome. um, in a lot of people's hands. And I think it really is. And thank helpful. you. Let me just jump in and say thank you for doing that. That's such a huge resource, especially for this community, for IBD to have to know that there's something out there and for you to generously just post that and make it available for for everyone to be able to have access to so thank you for yeah definitely well thank you thank you for saying that i you know just going through this um and knowing just like especially i had i have my you know my parents have been great supporters but i know that not everybody has that support system and so you know if you're on your own and and if this recipe ebook even makes it just a little bit easier, then then that's, you know, that's really why, why I do it. So how did you develop this passion for creating recipes? Is this something that you discovered as you're going through this journey that you really enjoy doing the recipes? Or is this something that was kind of secretly there all your life? <laughs> no, it was not there all my life. Um, my my mom is a great cook. I mean, she cooks so much when I was a kid and, you know, to the point where I'm like, I don't even know how I would be like her, you know, I'm like, I, I could, there's no way like, and so through college, um, didn't cook a thing, didn't own a pan, didn't own a pot. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, I, when I came, when COVID hit and I had like come home and I was like, I, I need some, a creative outlet first of all. And then also just seeing the benefit, I think just learning that benefit of cooking at home and, you know, trying different things and realizing that I don't really like, this is good practice. Like you don't have to be great at it at first, you know, nobody is. And, and my mom was very, very good to just let me even just like watch her cook, you know, or just like, I mean, she still, you know, answers my questions and like how, you know, how long can I keep this chicken in the refrigerator, you know? So um, little things like that. But yeah, it was definitely developed kind of out of necessity, I guess, but also just because I, I, I think that it has been kind of like an underlying passion. I've always like needed sort of a creative outlet, but never thought to, you know, go to the kitchen. But yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's so fun and I love creating things. And I think at, at the, the end of the day, I just love food and I've yeah. always loved food. <laughs> which is unfortunate to have like a stomach related condition. Yeah. But so I've just always loved food and and loved eating. And um, so, yeah, I think just being a foodie and then just needing a creative outlet, it was just kind of born out of that. I feel the same way that you do. I absolutely love food, but there's every time I go out to eat or we go somewhere, I don't eat anything. Mm -hmm. Like I don't stray from 
what I know that I can tolerate well. And I know that's going to be if I'm at a restaurant or a party and I know that's a safe food, I'll eat it. And it's, but it's like, despite that, I really do love food. <laughs> I just don't get to eat a, you know, whatever I want without Absolutely. consequence. But <laughs> yes, yeah, that's <laughs> I a big could one. eat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might regret it. For sure. So with all your experiences, this journey over the years, what are some of the tips that you would share with the listeners for dealing with some flare ups or the fatigue that you mentioned earlier and just balancing life and stress? Yeah, well, you know, when I went into remission at the beginning of or like the middle of 2020, I'm like, this is great. I feel great. And then, you know, I'm not in remission anymore. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it can come and go. Um, and it will come and go, you know, like, I don't think that you will be in remission for the rest of your life, you know, and so um, right now I am dealing with a lot of fatigue. So mm -hmm. my iron levels are extremely low right now. Um, there's actually a marker that's supposed to be like normal is above 100 and mine's at two. So mm -hmm. I'm like very, you know, tired. And um, but I think the most important thing is to, you know, to rest if you need to, you know, I think, uh, and I, I said earlier that I'm a recovering type A personality. And I really feel that like when you give yourself the freedom to, you know, it's okay to, to take a nap. It's okay not to get, you know, something done because, you know, you do have a condition that is very serious and your body is telling you it needs the rest. And so I think just to, to rest when you need to is like one of the most important things. And I think that's hard for us to do sometimes because we feel we're type A, we feel obligated and ironically, just the whole past week has just been go, 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 which is a lot for me because I'm battling fatigue pretty much every day. So by the time yesterday came around, I was just zong. I'm still trying to do work. And I accidentally broke our website for about 20 minutes, which put me in panic mode. Everything is fine. It, it yes. all went well. But it's like, I, I need to even now I still find myself saying like, I just need to rest, put it down lay in bed like I really need it and it's so I think it's important to hear it and continue to hear it that we have to listen to our bodies we know when we're not at our best we know when we're not at our optimal level we know when we need to rest and we need to just do that so yeah absolutely I, I think that, you saying that <laughs> yeah for sure yeah I know I know it, it's and it's hard sometimes I'm like I have to take my own advice because I I don't love, you know, if I lay down and take a nap during the middle of the day, I'm out for two and a half hours, you know, like there's no such thing as a cat nap when yeah. <laughs> you're this fatigued, you know, but yeah, I think just taking care of your body and just like not over committing, you know, and like just kind of evaluate, you know, write down all of the things that have to get done and, and don't do the things that don't have to get done, you know, like don't, don't be an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> just do the minimum. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's necessary for the moment. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> so do you still balance? Are you still on Remicade? Do you still balance medication and food? Is that your, the plan that's going on right now? Yeah, I think that's my kind of sweet spot is, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that modern medicine is, is a gift and, and knowing that it's, you know, it is there to help. There are definitely side effects that I don't love, but yeah. Um, you know, I would love to be, you know, completely medicine free, but I think right now it is the best option. Um, so yeah, just balancing medicine and then, and also trying to, you know, do my part and stay low stress, take care of my body and, you know, eat the right foods to kind of fuel it. Mm -hmm. That's good. 
So tell me what compelled you to really start sharing your own IBD story and become an advocate for those with Crohn's and colitis? You know, I think when I was diagnosed, which I was a senior in high school, and um, right after that, like a year later, there were three kids in our community. We live in kind of like a smaller town. Mm -hmm. And so there were three kids that were around my sister, my younger sister's age that were diagnosed with it. And um, I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel terrible that, you know, because they were six years younger than me. They were in like middle school when that happened, when they were diagnosed. And so I'm like, I feel just so, you know, not I mean, I didn't like pity them, but I just felt bad Mm. that they were going through that. And so um, I think just like making myself a resource to them was sort of, you know, how I helped out in that situation. It also you know, sort of made things start to make sense for me a little bit, you know, it was a, it was a way to kind of, um, kind of see that maybe the things that, you know, had happened could actually help another person. And so oddly enough, I had, um, I've, I've been, I've been pretty open about sharing my story, you know, Mm -hmm. if it can help somebody, I don't mind to, you know, share it, but, um, my, one of my college roommates just got diagnosed with Crohn's, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And so she, reached out to me, you know, I didn't know, I don't really keep in touch with her on a day-to-day basis. So I didn't know, but, you know, we've been in, in contact quite a bit recently because she's like, I don't know, you know, this is all so new to me. And so, you know, if I can, you know, tell them a good doctor to see or like a, you know, a a food that's worked for me, then like, I think that that's, you know, kind of makes it all worth it. It does. And even just having that shared experience, I've, I found for myself over the years, it's, it can feel very isolating because it's not a disease that you necessarily want to talk about. But and so it can make us feel very isolated and to to find someone that you can talk to and to know that there are people in your community or, or there's a resource that you can go to. It really does make a difference, even though our journeys are not exactly the same. Just knowing that we have this similar journey of what we're battling and dealing with can make such a difference. So I really appreciate the fact that you are sharing your story and that you've been doing so willingly. And so thank you for that. Yeah, well, I think that it's great, you know, people like you who have podcasts and platforms that they can, you know, use to to share more people's stories. I think that's just so helpful. I, I found, um, it's called the Wellness Hub. I don't know, have mm-hmm. you ever heard of it? Okay, so they share, um, and it's kind of like an autoimmune community, but one of the girls has Crohn's disease. And you know, they'll post things and I'm like, that is happening to me right now, you know? And so you do feel less alone when you see those things. So tell me if people want to learn more about you, any of the services that you offer and definitely where to download that ebook that we were talking about earlier. Why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I do most of my, you know, I'm not really on social media that much, but when I am, it's Instagram. And so my username is Lar, L-A-U-R underscore Cunningham. And so, um, also my, my website is laurencunningham.co and there's just a tab for recipes. There's a tab for the ebook and you can just put your email in and it will come straight to your email. Perfect. Thank you so much for offering that. So is there anything that I didn't ask you today or anything that's popping into your mind that you want to share with the community before we end this afternoon? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it all. (laughs) Well, good. We've been thorough. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed getting to know you better and hearing about your story. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us today. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohnsfitnessfood at gmail.com. And if you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohnsfitnessfood or visit my blog, crohnsfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and keep going, my fellow warriors.